Ecclesiastes, so we're going to start at the bottom. So I'll just pray before I start. Dear Lord, we just pray that uh, you help us to uh, hear your words. Uh, just help me to read the words so that we can understand. And we just ask that, again, that uh, your spirit this morning um, teaches us uh, what we need to hear. Amen. So I hated life because the work that is done under the sun was grievous to me. All of it is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Um, I hated all the things that I had toiled for under the sun because I must leave them to the one who comes after me. And who knows whether that person will be wise or foolish yet they will have control over all the fruit of my toil into which I have poured my effort and skill under the sun. This too is meaningless. So my heart began to despair over all my toilsome labour under the sun. For a person my labour for a person my labour with wisdom, knowledge and skill, and then they must leave all they own to another who has not toiled for it. This too is meaningless. And a great misfortune. What do people get for all the toil and anxious striving with which they labour under the sun? All their days their work is grief and pain. Even at night their minds do not rest. This too is meaningless. A person can do nothing better than to eat and drink and find satisfaction in their own toil. This too I see is from the hand of God. For without it, who can eat or find enjoyment? To the person who pleases him, God gives wisdom, knowledge and happiness. But to the sinner, he gives the task of gathering and storing up wealth to hand it over to the one who pleases God. This too is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Let me read that next one straight up. Since then you have been raised with Christ... Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever brings, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must rid yourself of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on a new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge in the image of its creator. Here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Amen. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything you do. 
and do it. Not only when their eyes are their eyes on you and to curry their favour, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for your human masters. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it is the Lord Christ you are serving. Yeah, I got it. Okay, I'll keep that Bible reading in front of you, but we'll stick it up on the screen as well. Is that hearing me all right? Um, that Ecclesiastes verse is heavy, isn't it? And we'll, we'll come back to it, um, and hopefully we'll have some understanding of it um, after our time together. If you haven't been here for a few weeks, or uh, we, we weren't here last week, were we? But um, we've been leading up to looking at a bunch of different topics, uh, uh, different things that we that we live out every day of our lives, and certainly things that in our in our world, in our society, in our culture, um, there's there's opinions, there's there's ways of that things happen, and that all those things serve to shape us. So we're tackling uh, five different topics over the next five weeks, and we're considering the way that the world shapes us in those areas, and the way that uh, God's word informs us in those areas and how we can live that our Christian identity out in a world that that isn't always in line with that. So how about I pray to that end this morning and then we're going to um, kick in. Loving Father, we give you great thanks for your word. Lord, we're aware that when we read passages like Ecclesiastes that they can be very pointed and that they can resonate deeply with us. So we pray that your spirit would Um, both bring comfort and conviction as we consider this morning what what your word says. Lord, we thank you for the fullness of your word that across all of it we get a big picture of your grand and glorious plan for this world and for our lives. And so I pray that uh, just now as we we consider this that you might uh, help me to explain part of that. Uh, for our for our benefit and our growth, uh, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'm going to start. We're going to have a couple of ads in the introduction, just to kind of give us a picture of the attitudes that are out there to um, our world. So you got that? Is it not working, Muckle? There we go. Talking about work today. There were our Bible readings. Have a look at this advertisement. It can be. Hard. That one. Society has influenced us to work towards monetary goals and material possessions. We spend so much time wrapped up in this that we often forget what is truly important. Every day when you wake up and you realize life isn't about money or how much you can acquire, life is about experiences and just moments and having like a series of moments that you can put together. So when you're laying in your deathbed at the end of your life, you look back and you say, I actually lived.
an adventure and explore the world. Immerse yourself in culture to see the way other people live and alter your perspective. Step out of your comfort zone and try something new. Make friends from all over the world and take some time to give back. This is our family. I don't know how you feel about that, but it might look inviting. It might look like an inviting prospect. Freedom from the monotony, the daily grind of getting up and getting ready and going to work and coming home from work and then sleeping and then doing it all again. How well do you think this kind of attitude sums up our culture's take on work? I suspect some of us may be really drawn in by this vision of life. Now, I think some of you are going to be very anti this vision of life, but I think that this is definitely part of the water that we're swimming in. This kind of attitude of of living and working is totally something that I've witnessed in my own peers. Now, I'm 32, about to be 33, and for people my age, this is very much the kind of life that they're seeking to live. And in fact, the teenagers that I've worked with over the last decade, this is definitely a big part of how they want to go about living their life. These ideas of of living in community, but having a social conscious and enjoying your youthfulness and just kind of like using work to support those endeavours, which is all great, isn't it? If you're as young as those people are or as good looking as those people are or if you're cashed up, to be able to travel the world like that, or if you don't mind putting off having a family or a home or a meaningful career, if you don't mind risking never having children or getting married, let's face it, this ad is trying to tell us something, isn't it? It's trying to sell something. It's, trying to, it's, a, it's an ad for travelling around the world. It's not giving us the full picture, but this is the, the kind of idea that a lot of people have bought into. It does capture one of the dominant attitudes in our culture toward work. In a similar vein, I've been very aware over the last year or so of people around my age who are actually aiming and, like, and achieving an early retirement, like around 35, being financially independent enough to never have to work a day in their life again. Sounds good, doesn't it? The method is basically get qualified, work flat out for a decade, at the same time, live very frugally, saving and investing so that in your mid-30s, you can be in that position where you just never have to work again. This is the world we live in. It's the water that we're swimming in. This is part of where our culture is at. And if you're younger, you might recognise that your attitude is somewhat close to this, or at least there's a pull toward an attitude like this. Now, maybe if you're a little bit older, and I'm not going to put brackets on who's older and who's younger, but grey hair does that, you might feel like these attitudes are just unbelievable and that young people these days need to pull their finger out. 
So I think it's also worth considering what were the cultural attitudes to work when you were younger? Or maybe if you're a part of an older generation, what's your attitude to work? For many people who are middle-aged or baby boomers or whatever definition you want to use, work has probably been quite necessary and at times been quite hard and things been quite tight. If you've been what what's you know loosely called working class or blue collar blue collar then it's likely that you've seen work as not something you've had a great deal of choice over but something you've had to do you've had to do it to keep the family together to keep a roof over your head to keep food on the table to keep the bank or the landlord happy is, is, am i getting any nods here have we got that kind of uh mindset Alternatively, alternatively, you might have had a professional qualification and you've given a big portion of your time and energy in your life to developing yourself in your area and gaining more and more promotions. Maybe you've given all that away and just become your own boss and then you can do whatever you like, can't you? Or maybe you've tried a little bit of each. Maybe... In all that, you feel like the people in this next commercial that I'm going to show you. It can be hard to know when you need a new job. As a rule, if you hate going to work every day, it may be time. <laughs> if you hate going to work and your coworkers don't respect you, hey dummy, it may be time. If you hate going to work, your coworkers don't respect hey, you, dummy. and you always wish you were somewhere else, it may be time. If you hate going to work, your coworkers don't respect hey, you, dummy. you wish you were somewhere else, and you cry constantly. <laughs> It may be time. If you hate going to work, no one respects hey, you. You wish you were somewhere else. You cry constantly, and you daydream of punching small animals. Oh, dear. It may be time. If you hate going to work, no one respects hey, you. You wish you were somewhere else. You cry constantly. You daydream of punching small animals, and you sit next to this guy. It may be time. If you make loads of money, it may not be time. But if you make loads of money, you hate going to work, no hey, one respects dummy. you. You wish you were somewhere else, you cry constantly, you daydream of punching small animals, and you sit next to this guy. It's probably time, as a rule. <laughs> Is that the attitude? Do we just change it up? Is that the answer to the monotony? I think if you're from one of those generations... That's the message that's really dominant in our culture about work at this stage. If you've worked hard through your life and now it's just, you know, you've kind of come to that dead end, you've got insight to that meaningless, isn't that the message? Just change it up. Just get on seek.com or whatever. Why is this where our culture is at with work? Of course, work is one of the biggest things you'll do with your life. It likely dominates your week. It's something that people talk about. What's the, how do we greet each other? G'day, nice to meet you. What do you do? The book of Ecclesiastes is essentially an observation of life as a human day in and day out. Its premise is to explore what living is about and how to do it well. And in one sense, it's nearly like a 3,000-year-old version of this sermon series that we're doing. It's a look at the water of the world. It's a look at the world that we live in. 
And in thinking through the world that he lives in, the writer of Ecclesiastes considers both life with no reference to God and then what sense can be made of things when God is in the picture. That's a quick structure of the book of Ecclesiastes. At the start of uh, Ecclesiastes, this is what uh, it tells us. The teacher or the writer applied my mind to study and to explore by wisdom all that is done under the heavens. What a heavy burden God has laid on mankind. I've seen all the things that are done under the sun. All of them are meaningless. A chasing after the wind. Now that word meaningless, it's, it's re, um, restated throughout the book time and time again. It can be translated in lots of different ways. But meaningless is a little bit uh, misleading. Um, the actual word is more like describing mist or smoke or vapor. It's something that looks like it's there and then it kind of like before it's fully realized, it's gone. You can't go and catch smoke in a, in a jar, can you? It's kind of like that idea. It's, it's meaningless. It's, it's vapor. Now, the reading that we had was when the writer turned his mind to work, to toil, to the monotony of day in, day out, getting up, going off, doing something, trying to produce something. And he kind of flips-flops in, in his observation, doesn't he? In verse 17, he talks about how it's grievous, how it grieves him to see this pattern. But then in verse 19, he, he reminds us that we actually gain something from our toil. We have something to bring home at the end of the day. But then verse 20, he despairs over that pattern. Verse 23 it gets real. He talks about the anxious nights, minds ticking. But then verse 5, he talks about the enjoyment. It's a big melting pot of, of all these different feelings and emotions. Some days we will have the best day at work, everything will go right or it'll be full of good surprises. And other days, it will be a clock watcher. It can be difficult to know what he's going, on, going for here. But the book of Ecclesiastes is kind of like that. Other sections and later chapters speak the same way of topics like pleasure, of wisdom and of money. And not to oversimplify it, but Ecclesiastes essentially says, if you look for meaning in the things that you do in this world, you will never find it. You can't create it for yourself. The only place you will find meaning is when God reveals it to you, when God clears the mist and shows you where the true meaning is. Verse 26 gives us that little bit of insight. To the person who pleases him, God gives wisdom, knowledge, and happiness. But to the sinner, he gives the task of gathering and storing up wealth to hand it over to the one who pleases God. The writer can't find meaning just looking around him. The writer says, like lots of things, work and understanding work is like mist. And it's because it's frustrated by sin. Sin. 
That's where sin is. We need that bigger picture of sin always. That it's not just the laws that I break or the mistakes that I make. It's the whole reason that things just don't work the way that we plan them to. Only when we, like verse 26 says, understand it, when we see it and live it God's way, will we know wisdom, knowledge and happiness. So while our culture looks to make meaning, just go hard, get a bit of cash and travel and experience things or help someone in need or, or whatever they say or you know, change it up if it's just not working for you, whatever our culture does to make meaning or to get around the, the meaninglessness of everything, as much as we look for avenues to reduce the frustration of work, only when we accept and understand why God created it in the first place will we get even close to being able to live and to work well. And so we're going to consider these few questions this morning. Why did God create work? It's almost like one of those questions, why did God make mosquitoes? Only there's a more meaningful answer. How does God see work? And how does he want us to see it? Well, Genesis chapter 2, verse 2, we read about the completion of creation and we actually read that God had been working. It tells us on the seventh day, God had finished his work. So he rested. God works. And not only that, when God created you and me, we were made in his image. We were made to reflect what he is like. He commands us to rule. He commands us to subdue the earth. That's not going to happen without work. And in bearing his image, we are going to be like him. And so if he works, then we too will work. Genesis chapter 2 it goes on to, and this is like the second retelling of creation. Just a quick overview of how Genesis works. Chapter 1, the creation. Chapter 2, the creation, just from a different perspective. And we read about um, how the Lord took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. Likewise, when no suitable helper was found amongst all the animals, we read that God created a wife for the man as a helper for both of them. Together they were to work. And they're not slaves. They're not God's little minions. This is God's good creation, the God himself who works. It's part of what it means for us to image God. Genesis 1 and 2 teach us that work is fundamentally a good thing. It is fundamentally a good thing. And we will not, I don't think, hear that from our culture around us. In its design, in the way that God created it, work was and is a meaningful expression of what it is to be a human, a human made in God's image. But that is not how we experience it. I don't know about you, but that... Reading from Ecclesiastes is far more the reality that I see. Why is that the case? 
because we know that Genesis has chapter 3. In living and working in the garden, Adam and Eve sinned. Being tempted to take what was God's, that is the right to call the shots, to say what is good and evil, they turn their back on the way that God has established things. It frustrates everything. In fact, what came of it? Well, like chapters 1 and 2 talk about work among a bigger picture, we see in chapter 3, work get turned on its head as God curses the creation that he had given the people to work in. Verse 16, Genesis chapter 3, To the woman he said, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. Painful labour is literally hard work. To the man, to Adam, he said, because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree I commanded you, goes down, cursed will be the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you. You will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food. Work will be hard. Work has been frustrated. What the teacher in Ecclesiastes observes is exactly what God said would happen. In verse 22, what do people get for all the toil and anxious striving they labor with under the sun? Genesis 3, from dust you came and to dust you will return. This is the world that we live in. But it's not the full picture. The gospel is all about redeeming in creation what was lost at that moment when Adam and Eve sinned. In Jesus, all the curses put on this earth begin to unwind, begin to undo. The fact Jesus himself suffers the curse of death on the cross means that the curse is being undone in the lives of people whose faith is in Jesus' death on the cross. And so that's why we needed that reading from Colossians. Because it reminds us that if we have faith in Jesus, we're a new type of person. The reality of being a Christian is that just as Jesus was resurrected to a whole new life, so are you and I. Our old life is dead and hidden with Christ in God. The point that Paul makes in this passage is that we've got to live out this reality. And the way that Colossians chapter 3 is structured is like this. He says in verses 5 to 14 that that's got to come out in our character. And that's not what I'm preaching on today. Verses 15 to 17 says that's got to come out in our church, in our community. And that's also not what we're talking about today. And then in verses 18 to 25, it talks about how it comes out in all our relationships. And then right at the end, we get to these verses that talk about how are we going to relate to our work and to the people that we work for. Because work is fundamentally a good thing that God has given us, 
then when our life is in Christ, we have a new reason for working. It is Christ Jesus you are serving with all of your life, even when it's for someone else. This blows the world's view of work like completely out of the water. We don't work as Christians to save for our retirement. And if that's your goal, then it will be frustrated. Verse 24 says, you've got an inheritance, but it is coming from the Lord. It is something that will never spoil or perish or fade. If your working is so you can travel and experience life, you're actually missing out. If your working is so you can build your own little kingdom, you too are missing out. If your working is so you can retire early, you too are missing out. If your working is to please or impress someone, you're missing out. One thing I haven't mentioned so far is that these verses, they don't just have paid work in mind. This is not simply the job that we go to. Work happens in the home. Work happens in the way that you raise your kids. Work is the study that you will do. Work is the contribution you make in the community. All of that is work. Genesis 2, God wasn't dishing out paychecks, was he? God's design in creation was for people to continue his creating. He recreates us and he sets us out to be involved in his recreating of the world. The start of the Bible paints a picture of the garden, but the final picture in the Bible is of a city. It's been built, it's been completed. And while we know that Jesus is the one that brings that to fruition, the Bible makes it very clear that it's through his people. What God completes in the big picture of the Bible is a complete creation. And we as Christians sit in the middle of all that. That's why some of those things that I said before aren't very popular and will grate on us. We as Christians sit in the middle of all that big picture and we're given the task of working to contribute to a much grander vision, the completion of this creation. Work is not meaningless. It's not a contradiction to say that. It's a matter of perspective. All the things God calls us to do, to be and to become because of Jesus, is our work. To leave us with, I just want to offer four ways to consider that I hope will help work to live up to what the Bible tells us, and to hopefully not feel as hopeless as Ecclesiastes puts it. Four things. The first is, given all that, we need to be cautious not to be lazy. Now, I've put up on the screen Proverbs 6. I'm not going to read it, but it's printed on your sheet to take home and study. This is just some basic wisdom from Proverbs. What he says here is that no effort will result in no return. And so while Ecclesiastes points out that hard work produces profit of some sort, but in this kind of depressing and circular way, 
Proverbs concedes that no effort will likely result in poverty. Lazy do- laziness does not reflect the hope that we have in Jesus. Don't confuse laziness with rest or rest with laziness. There is a place for rest and I'll bring that up in a second. In your parenting or your business or your housework or whatever, laziness will bite you. Simple bit of wisdom from the Bible. Keep this in balance. Now, this is not about being perfect, but we need to keep in check anything we work toward. Oh, sorry, we we need to remember that we can make idols of these things, and we don't want to do that either. But in reference to a society where we're told that we need things to be more convenient and efficient, we'll do well to remember what we learn from our Creator about how the world works. Don't be lazy. The second point, it's almost on the opposite end of the scale. Don't be greedy. As you reflect on this topic today, specifically in reference to your paid work or, your, or, or what you or your family members are studying toward, remember that work is not about what we gain. Verse 7 of 1 Timothy chapter 6 says, For we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. You can amass wealth and work massive hours in a week to do that. It works that way. That can be achieved, but it's foolishness. The dead man's bank account does nothing for him. People wander from their faith doing this. That's the warning from 1 Timothy. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with even more grief. Don't do it. Working to build up riches is foolishness. We're going to devote a whole sermon to this topic in a few weeks and Paul's going to bring that. And we need to keep hearing this kind of stuff because it's, it's exactly the water that we're swimming in. We've got to remember that promise in Colossians that we're already set to receive an inheritance from the Lord. So let's not risk wandering from the faith and piercing ourselves with those many griefs. The third thing to try to help us realise this is to remember to trust God and to rest. See, if we're not going to do nothing and be lazy on one hand and we're not going to work for our fortune on the other hand, The middle ground is probably where we're going to find trusting God sits. I've put up the fourth commandment of the Ten Commandments. And in this commandment, we're reminded of a few things. We're reminded that just as God told us to work, he told us to rest. Just as in creation, he set that pattern of work, that he also set a pattern of rest. Like I've already said, rest is not laziness. Rest is all those things that recharge us. It's sleeping. It's eating well. It's our fellowship with others. It's our time in prayer. Prayer is not exclusively rest. There's times where Paul and Jesus model like a kind of 
an urgency or a working in prayer, that kind of attitude, but generally, those things that will recharge us. Jesus frequently withdrew. And rest shouldn't be just like the world, where it's self-indulgent or where it's mindless entertainment. Because ultimately, rest has the function of preparing us for the work that God has given us to do. And so really, we've got to come back to that passage in Colossians. The thing that's going to turn your attitude around or, or keep you from being pulled by where our culture's at is seeking to live out Colossians chapter 3, verse 23. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for, your, for the Lord. Do it in all your work. At home, as you study, in your community or in your job. Do it as if it is for Jesus. Jesus has given it for you to do. Jesus has given you the security of eternal life. You don't need to worry about whether your work will be profitable or not. Jesus has raised you to a new life. Jesus has hidden that old way of living that is just like the world around us. Paul's instruction is pretty straightforward. Do it for Jesus. Mow your lawn for Jesus. Change the messy clothes on your toddler for the fifth or sixth time in the day for Jesus. Retype or recut or recook as you've been requested for Jesus. Because in this way, we show the world around us that we've found hope in Jesus. Not hope that we will have an early retirement or riches or a comfortable life. We're not dependent on the outcome of our work. We're not frustrated by the monotony because we have hope. We have meaning. We have purpose, purpose that's external to what we do. That's what gives us confidence when things go wrong and we have one of those days. We have a bigger God that we answer to, bigger than your client, bigger than the parent of the kid that you teach, bigger than the own kingdom, your own kingdom that you work for, bigger than our own freedoms that we work for. The gospel of Jesus and his grace, it really does change us that much. Little things like we're talking about today and we're going to talk about in the coming weeks, really cementing us that our faith is in Jesus. Some of these topics get uncomfortable, but it's because they're testing where our loyalties really are. Do we trust that his way is better? Do we trust the central thing that he has died our death and given us new life? We need to persist at resisting the tide of the world. If I didn't caricature your attitude to work at the introduction of this talk, whatever your attitude is, measure it against God's word. Measure it against the gospel. 
measure it against the way the Bible tells us that working is good and God is going to use it in your life to teach you to trust him, to teach you to recharge in him, to teach others about himself through you, living this weird, radical, different life. Don't get stuck in the lies that we should just change it up to be happy or that work is about setting up your perfect lifestyle. God has given you work to do and he is building his kingdom through you and all that you are doing. Paul says, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Our loving Father, we thank you that in grace you have brought us into a new relationship with you, a new perspective on this world and a new life. Lord, we thank you for your spirit in us, convicting us and pointing out to us the true perspective on this world. We thank you that your work in our lives is like light in darkness. Lord, we pray as we've considered work, our working, our professional work, all aspects of our life this morning, Lord, we, we confess that some of the light shone on us will hurt, that it will expose us. And so, Lord, Humble us to come back to you in grace, in your mercy. And Lord, as your light shines away, Lord, keep us on that path. Give us the strength to resist being dragged away by each little thing. Lord, particularly keep us from wandering the from our faith toward greed and and amassing wealth for ourselves. Lord, and we just pray as a church that we would be encouraging one another to do this. Lord, that we would be great encouragers of one another. And that we would together shine light out to our world that that there is a way to live that's not frustrated that's not like smoke and disappearing. Lord, we thank you for that inheritance that has been bought by the death of your son. And Lord, teach us to put all our hope in that. In Jesus' name, amen.